Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. I don't know about you guys, but if there's anything in dentistry that kind of terrifies me, it is endodontics. I mean, we're essentially going in blind, working with microscopic canals that can curve in any sort of direction, you know, running the risk of perforations, fractured instruments, hypochlorite accidents, air embolisms, you name it, right? There's just this whole list of things that I feel like could go wrong. Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name's Erica and we're back with part two with Dr. Mehdi Rahimi who talks me through endodontic misadventures and in particular in this episode we focus on fractured instruments and we go through his top tips on how we go about talking to our patient about it, assessing the situation and managing it. And he gives some really great advice just regarding our attitude towards misadventures and how we should view them, which was honestly really reassuring and makes me a lot more confident, I guess, going into doing endo. But once again, we started this episode with a memorable story Dr. Mehdi has of a fractured instrument and how he went about managing that situation. The story of a fractured instrument um, that... Um sticks to mind for me is um, a certain Persian background patient that I saw um, that I saw during post-grad that had a fractured instrument um, in uh, her lower premolar and it was uh, a tooth where it was quite heavily restored and behind that tooth there was no um, other tooth, so it was under a lot of um, occlusal forces, and I, I still remember she was adamant. Um, the, so, the, the, so the location of the fracture file and the length of the file is important, and whether you need to remove it or not is important too, because if there's no lesion, there's no symptoms, there's no reason. So nothing met the prerequisite for removal of the instrument. It was a uh, an apical fracture it was um, a large file so it meant that most likely the canal was already clean it was one of the finishing files um, i still remember it was an f3 pro taper <clears throat> so so f3 is very large and very wide and it was about 12 millimeters it was almost the entire length of the premolar lower premolar uh, root <laughs> so so and it was wound part way in and part way out like the, it was actually through the um, for Raymond. So, of course, you know, I did the whole spiel about, look, you don't have any symptoms or pain. If we are to remove this instrument, which is doing nothing, the canal's already clean and it's probably already as clean as it could be. Um, if we remove the instrument, it's going to leave your tooth too weak. And uh, I don't recommend it because you don't have posterior support. And she was at the hospital, so like she wasn't going to be on a wait list the next month for for an implant. It'll be like a seven eight year wait list to get a dental implant in the hospital at a you know at at a reasonable price. Um, so she wasn't going to meet the requirements for it because she had enough teeth. Um, anyway, I said to her, "Look, you know, I don't recommend it," and she begged me. She's like, "Listen, I cannot sleep at night." because this fractured instrument is in my mind. I have a stressful life. I've got kids, and I'm in the process of getting a divorce from my husband. 
and this fractured instrument is just an additional problem for me that is causing even more problems. Just generally, all my problems in life have increased because of this fractured file. I want you to remove it. I just can't sleep at night. So I tried to reason with her again, and she just wouldn't take no for answer. So I obviously, would, in those circumstances, <clears throat> when you've told them it's wrong, sometimes you turn them away, and sometimes, obviously, if you're still going to treat them, um, then you get them to sign. So I got her to sign a consent that I've warned her about the risks that if I attempt removal of this instrument, it might leave her tooth further weakened and at higher risk of fracture. So she signed it. <clears throat> and I, you know, maybe in hindsight, you know, in some of these cases, you'd turn them away. Like you shouldn't, it should be red flags when they're so anxious, stressed, and they are pushing you to do something you shouldn't be doing. You should never be driven by a patient. I've learned that through the hard, you know, experiences that I had. Anyway, I came to remove the instrument and I tried really, really hard and, you know, I couldn't bypass it. It was like too long. I couldn't use a braided technique and sort of twist the files around and pull it. I, I couldn't grab it <laughs> with various devices such as the Maserang kit we had. So I really vibrated the hell out of that instrument and, you know, a bit of the top of it came off and then a little bit more came off and, Gradually, you know, we, you know, with hours of ultrasonication, um, I got it out, <laughs> but I then obturated and realized I've left a large defect in the wall of the root, which I didn't see. Okay. So that patient several months later came back with a root fracture. <laughs> so then, then I had to speak to her about it. Remember, I told you everything. Um, she was generally upset. She was not happy. Okay, from, from day one, she wasn't happy. When I took the instrument out, she was neutral. She still wasn't happy. And then, of course, she was even more upset or angry at, at me. And lucky I did this all in the hospital because I had, you know, if she was going to sue me, I had the backing of a hospital and she wasn't paying anything for it in postgrad. But, but it, it taught me that I honestly should not just remove every instrument that fractures. Um, and the protocols are well written in the literature. There's plenty of papers. Um, one of them that comes to mind because I got taught by him was Harold Messer and Peter Parashos. They wrote an article in 2006 which summarized, you know, the incidence of fracture removal and when to remove and when not to remove. Um, and the reality is that I learned through that case especially. I'll never forget that case because I also followed it up and, might have been less than a year before it fractured. The tooth actually fractured because I'd weakened it so much that I've, I've learned not to remove every instrument. I've also learned or the dentist should learn that when they refer these cases, don't promise them that, oh, don't worry, the, the endodontist will remove the instrument. Never, ever say that. They're happy to, they're happy to manage the case if there's a misadventure, um, but they are not, you know, we're not, we're not, we don't appreciate the fact that some dentists just say, yes, they'll remove it. They'll remove it. Don't worry. It's not a big deal. They're going to remove it. They have a microscope. A microscope doesn't mean we're going to remove every instrument. 
Yeah, so I mean that that was the fractured instrument story anyway, and um, there's a lot more I can say about fractured instrument. But in 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 total, the three points I make is warn patients every patient before endodontic therapy that it might happen, and if it does happen, then it's easier to explain that to them. Remember that a fractured instrument, like many other endodontic mishaps is a misadventure, is not negligence. The more you do something, the higher the risk that you would have that happen to you. And I've made, I reckon, all the mistakes, if not almost all of the mistakes in the book. The only thing that hasn't happened under my hand is I haven't had a death yet, (laughs) like a patient died. But everything else you could think of in terms of a misadventure, from air embolisms to hypochloroid injuries to fracturing instruments and perforating, I mean, at the moment, I've got the license to fracture instruments and perforate because I'm an endodontist. But but all of that has happened to to me, and I'm, I come out and say this: that a lot of it is misadventure, is not negligence. Um, it's a misadventure, and the patient needs to accept that we're operating on teeth every day. So of course, some teeth are more complex, or some situations you don't realize that that file is going to break. And then by the time you use it, it's too late, snap, it fractures. Um, Sudden curvatures on um, radiographs are not detectable sometimes. And you'll you'll see it if you put a file in and do a working link, for example. Oh, I didn't see that curvature. It looked like a straight root, but it actually has an S-bend or it has an acute curve somewhere. So these things can happen. Um, So that's number two. It's a misadventure, not not negligence. You should be able to, after you've explained it might happen, uh, deal with it in a non-inflammatory, in a in a manner that it doesn't um, make that particular patient upset. Um, because a lot of times when you say the wrong thing, <laughs> you could end up getting yourself into more trouble. The last thing is never, ever offer to pay for the procedure just because a misadventure occurred. Because if you offer to pay, you're carrying that case with you for the rest of that patient's, I reckon, <laughs> life of that tooth. Because, like, imagine you offered to pay and it was the patient, I just told you, that Persian lady, that came in and they adamant you have to remove it. I did and it fractured. Guess who they're going to come back for, for compensation? If they were a fee-paying patient, they were in a private world, they'll come after you and say, you know the tooth that you broke the instrument in? that you paid for, now you've got to pay for my implant. And then if they have an issue with the implant, <laughs> you know, they'll come back and sue you. Eventually you'll get sued. Um, so never admit to an, a, a procedural error that happens under everyone's hands. Never say, oh, I'm so sorry, I feel so bad, I'll pay for it. Because that is digging yourself a, a bigger hole. Um, you can You can be kind to them. And, for example, when they come back to you, say, all right, because this happened and I know you spent a little bit more, I wasn't, you know, aiming for you to go to an endodontist, I'll reduce my fee on the crown. A reasonable patient will say, thank you, you don't even have to do that. Um, so, so remember that too. Lastly, again, I repeat, you don't remove every fractured instrument. Um, you don't need to worry about every single perforation either. As long as you're able to seal it with the, the right material, um, it doesn't change the outcome. Okay, an instrument, if it fractured right at the end, is better left behind. We used to leave pins in teeth, I tell patients. Well, we still do pins. Some people still do pins. It's just in a root instead of, and it's a sterile 
by a compatible material. It's not going to rust. It's not going to move. It won't cause cancer, all that. <laughs> I say that to patients routinely. Yeah. Non-inflammatory, sep- separated instrument, not fractured instrument. Non-inflammatory, a defect in the tooth, not a perforation gushing out with blood or a big hole in your tooth in the wrong place. They don't need to know that. Often patients don't even want to know. You know defect in the tooth. Microscopic canal. I can't find it. It's microscopic. The endodontist has a microscope and more experience to find it. Uh, Complex anatomy is always a good one. It's complex. It's complex. Patients are not going to say, oh, what is it exactly? You know, what do you mean by complex? They're not going to question you. Many of them are reasonable. And they're like, okay, that's why I'm going to go and see the specialist. And um, don't bag out other people's work. That's the other thing. Call it underextended undercompacted, um, slightly, slightly, slightly short, it's okay. Um, don't say unsatisfactory, inadequate, because that's going to, again, ignite something in that patient's mind. Anyway, the highest rate, I don't know where you're listening from, the highest rate of being sued in the world as a dentist is in Sydney, Australia. It's overtaken San Francisco. So if you live in Sydney, you know, two out of three of the of the dentists will get something against them. So this is why you've just got to look after each other and not, you know, bag each other out just because something happened, which is often, as I said, a misadventure. It's 2022, a time where cloud-based software is enhancing every aspect of our lives. So why not leverage those same capabilities in something we use every day, our dental practice management software. Imagine a platform rethought from the ground up, intuitive and intelligent, using the possibility of today's technology for your patients and your business. A solution that optimizes our daily workflows, creating the edge that modern dentists need to stay competitive and connected. Principal practice management software is this solution. Efficient, intelligent, intuitive. Because it's 2022 and you expect better. Go to principal.dental to learn more. I really, I like how you emphasize this idea of that it being a misadventure and not negligence. Because I know, you know, as a student, I feel like a lot of my friends are in the same position. But endo just seems terrifying (laughs) because I feel like there are so many things that could possibly go wrong with endo where, you know, we do a restoration or, like you know, the patient might have a little post-op sensitivity or something. But endo, there is the terror of, I might perforate, I might fracture an instrument, something could go, like, you know, it could cause a hypochlorite accident or air embolism. There are so many things that, you know, seem terrifying. But I guess, like you say, it's all part of your patient management, warning them beforehand and managing it in a really delicate way. And then, you know, just and accepting that, you know, these happen to everyone and it is just a part of the procedure, right? Is there something that you, like, you know, you're talking about it, but do you have kind of like a set spiel that you would give to patients, you know, before you undertake this procedure of, you know, what your risks and complications and what you would say to them, like a set script that you would say to every patient? Yeah, yeah, so I, I do. I mean, I, I take them through um, a diagnosis. So I always diagnose first after I've done my own um, examination, you know, so I, I take in all, into account all the tests, 
radiographic, clinical, um, what the patient is sensing, their, their symptoms. Uh, so I start with a, uh, a sheet where I've got some things to remind me on it and I start with, are you in pain or not? Uh, what type of pain do you have? Um, is it the usual throbbing, aching, radiating, dull nature, or is it sharp? You know, <laughs> are they hot and cold sensitive? Uh, do they have pain on chewing? Um, so all of those is like I've memorized it because I've gone through it every day on multiple patients. Um, I have an area where I draw, and that drawing is catered to that patient, and I prefer to draw by hand, although there's iPads and things like that. Um, I don't like the generic tooth. I prefer to draw their tooth and their bite wing. So remember, I take bite wings all the time. Um, doesn't matter if I need to do a 3D scan, I still do the bite wing, and I always do the periapical radiograph or radiographs. Um, so I tell them what's going on, and I, I tell them I need to remove or strip away the restoration have a look. I tell them about cracks. Uh, very important you tell them about cracks from the beginning because the cracks are the most common reason why the tooth come back with a failure. So it's usually a structural reason, um, being, being a fracture, which leads to the failure of the tooth that you touched. So I tell them I must strip away the tooth. And I, I, I keep, you know, I'm sure you know this, and this is the basics where you guys are taught well, but... In emergency circumstances, many dentists might teach you the wrong way or you watch them do it the wrong way. They don't remove all the caries or the restoration that's leaking and they just go through the middle and they go for the pop because they don't have time. It's not, it's, this, is, this is what's going to let you down eventually. That's how you're going to get the flare-up. That's how you're going to get the complaining patient, um, which might end up at someone else's doorstep and then they can deal with it, but they might also bag you out and say, oh, look, they leave caries behind, you know, and if you haven't shown you've removed the restoration, you will get in trouble. <laughs> so you've got to remove the entire restoration. So that's why I tell them. I've got to look for cracks. Um, then I will tell them about types of cracks. Some not being as bad as the others, such as being superficial, some being deep. Um, I tell them about if it's deep, then there's another option. So I've done my investigation fee. For that, I patch it up and you've got to go and extract it. But always give them the other options, such as doing nothing, such as going for an option like implants or bridge work or whatever. So you've got to give them those options um, apart from endodontic treatment modality. Then it comes down to the sequence of steps of the case. So how many visits it might take and what I'm going to use in each visit. And I tell them about molar bands and how you got to clean around them. I tell them about cost of treatment. I need to review cases, what the fee for that is, and if we need further information, like a 3D scan, then this is how much you know I charge for a 3D scan. Once I've done that, I tell them about the risks. So this is the bit that you're asking for. So I've got a set number of risks written, and there are a summary of the brochure I gave them to read before they came in. For you... You don't even know if they're an emergency situation, if you're going to extract or you're going to perform endodontic therapy, right? So the best thing to do is to give them that brochure if you don't have time during that visit where you've done the extirpation uh, to read before the second visit or the third, you know, before the second, third visit, whatever number of visits you take. 
If you think you've time and you've got plenty of time on that day, then give it to them to quickly read the complications part. So it's got all the risks, right? And then I point out a few main risks. Number one being a crack or fracture. So tell them the number one reason most likely where your tooth might be lost, and this is where we're taking a risk, is a fracture. Because to start off with, your tooth has more procedures, so it's more compromised structurally. Secondly, we look for cracks carefully, but even with high magnification, in my case, microscope even, and transillumination, I can miss cracks because cracks can be on parts of the tooth that I cannot detect. It can be under the gum on the outer side of the tooth where I'm looking inside the tooth, not outside. So they'll understand it when you explain it that way. So the tooth might come back and there might have been a crack or there might not be a crack, but a crack develops like bending a coat hanger many, many times. So because it's weaker, eventually it can fracture. So that's the number one reason. Number two could be some form of infection. Now it's either new infection or persistent infection. And then I tell them about the root canal being complicated. I draw a line during my drawing. Okay, keep it simple. Then I then I change one of the lines to branches of a tree. And I say the root canal system's got branches, especially at the tip of the root, that last few millimeters. Um, we might leave bacteria behind. And I say, in fact, we leave bacteria behind almost all the time. But the bacteria is often below a threshold that causes disease. It is only when that bacteria that persisted, persisted for whatever reason gains access to nutrients or leakage happens or the patient's immunity goes down, can't cope with the bacterial as, as well, the bacteria can start to um, proliferate again and cause a new infection. Uh, reinfection, often I'd say it's because the world's best root canal or the Academy Award-winning root canal with the best crown can still fail because if you don't floss, always point it back at the patient. With any misadventure, with any, you know, most of these risks, you're the one, you know, who had the caries. So you ended up with a larger filling, tooth got weaker, slash might have cracked, may not have a crack later, or you needed root canal and then after that, you didn't floss again and you had leakage again and you end up with new infection because of leakage because bacteria can get back in through you know, the best best work that's been done. I tell them about other risks or I, I tell them, did you see the other risks? Do you have any questions about the other risks? And, you know, I tell them about the less than 3% possibility of breaking an instrument um, because that one – if you don't tell them sometimes, you know, that's the one they make a big deal out of. Um, and it, it, to be honest with you, in some cases, I don't even tell them about that. I just say to them, look, did you read everything? Do you have any questions? No? Fine. In some cases where I think it's a more challenging case, I might tell them. Um, and often you tell them, look, we don't worry about that, Mrs. Jones. We don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Um, if it does happen, I'll have to send you to a specialist to reassess it. Um, and, and, and if they live very far from a specialist or don't want to go to a specialist, you can always send in because um, most um, specialists these days are happy for a Facebook private message of a case or, or an email with a case, you know, question mark. 
or a phone call if you're that stressed. Um, and they'll say, look, can we, ha- can we have a look at the radiographs? Okay. Oh, this was the final file or the second to the last file? Oh, there's no lesion? There's no pain? Just go ahead and finish it. If they don't want to come in, just filter the instrument or whatever. Yeah. So, like, it's just a basically a, as you said, methodical way from diagnostic sieve way and going through a diagnosis to treatment plan way to risks, discussing risks, and then they sign consent. They sign the back of my drawing and all the risks discussed. They'll also sign on the other side that they know they've got to pay the money for this case. They know that there's a chance they might lose the tooth regardless. There might be an extraction along the way down the track and they've accepted it. I always tell them this. I finish my conversation with this. They're about to sign. And by the time I've done this thorough discussion, right, many of them just can't wait to sign and start. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care. But I say, just do not be upset at me if one day you come back and the tooth that I treated is symptomatic again or I tell you, you've got to pull it. I've done my best. They call me a nurse or dentist. So, in fact, I'm a nurse. I'm just nursing your tooth along for as long as we can. I still think I'm doing nothing wrong because the, the tooth, the natural tooth, will never be replaced by anything else. It is the best option for you. And all the other options have their own risks too. So I'm trying to keep your natural tooth for a little bit longer in your life because, oh, you know, I don't think we're doing anything wrong. And if, it, if, it, if we tried everything, we threw everything at it and then it failed, well then, fine, we can discuss other options. Aligners are becoming an integral part of practice, and whether you are new to aligner therapy or an experienced practitioner, the opportunity is vast. But how do you do that well, and how do you do that profitably? Well, Dr. Jeff Hall and Dr. Jesse Green have got together to help you with both of these key problems in aligner therapy. Dr. Jeff Hall is going to teach you how to do clear aligners to a high standard and give you the confidence to be able to treatment plan and troubleshoot your patients. And Dr. Jesse Green is going to show you how to do this more efficiently, more profitably, and to get more patients like these into your practice. Solving these problems and getting you profitable in clear aligners is what Clear Aligner Excellence, their new education platform, is all about. It also gives you huge discounts on the aligner lab fees. There's almost no reason not to find out more. like your methodical approach to it and I think what is it almost it it's very reassuring I guess because I um you've kind of developed this way that rather than just seeing the situation and jumping into it and being worried and being scared you've developed just yeah there's a methodical approach there's a system that we can go through these are the things we say to a patient they're on board with it they understand it we're not you know doing we're not um you know undertaking malpractice or anything we're also like you said like we're trying to nurse the tooth we're doing the best that we can and if things happen things happen right but it's keeping the patient in the the in the loop every step of the way um and then there are ways that we can manage it if you know things don't go to plan so i really i really like that and i think it's a reassuring um way of thinking about yeah, it pleasure <laughs> no, that's yeah no you know it's just a look at the start when these things happen Everyone's always more worried because it's the first time it happened. But after it happened on multiple occasions, you'll get a better way to manage it. And I'm trying to just address that now with a lot of you, a lot of the 
people may be listening in because they may be new graduates. They might be the first time this has happened to them. And um, I, I was the same. <laughs> My first perforation was through a gold crown and an old patient with calcified canals. And I went right through with the wrong burr, you know, with, with a tungsten carbide where it it does the whole throttle. Like it wasn't with a red red band where it was gentle. You know, the red band handpiece, it's a slow speed, higher higher RPM. And nowadays I use that to go through a lot of crowns. Back then it was on a high speed with, I think, a really strong, you know, um, a strong power and it was with uh, one of those tungsten carboys and you did that you, you hear the throttle and you just i just went right through because it was tungsten carboy and before i know it I, I made the biggest perforation i ever saw it was just like size eight burr you could see other you could see the other side of the mouth with it <laughs> you know and i i i was shocked i was in shock i i honestly didn't know what to do next i was sweating okay i was red and I was like, this is such a nice patient. How do I? I was very lucky. That patient was a very nice patient. Like I was just so lucky. Yeah. What did you say to um what did you say to that patient at that moment? I was I was I was honest. I just said, look, and I think you've got to be honest, but I have better ways these days to address it. Um, such as the word defect, which they don't really ask for. Um, complex anatomy, really, really, really calcified really, really blocked, really, really narrow, really, really complicated, <laughs> microscopic. Um, but, but I basically said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, sir. I think, um, yeah, I, because I've, I'm going through a, a different landmark, so it's not the, the natural tooth crown, it's actually a, a gold crown that you had. Um, I didn't realize where I was. I couldn't see. It was quite dark. So I've gone through the wrong area of the tooth. Um, so I don't think I can manage it for you. Um, I think I'll have to refer to my boss. <laughs> so I, I actually referred to my boss back then. Um, didn't refer to an endodontist. Um, and I'm not sure what happened to the case. But th this is what I mean. Like at the beginning, um, you deal with it differently. Now I would definitely deal with it differently. I'll explain it differently. And I'll definitely, in hindsight, recommend those cases to be referred to an endodontist unless you've got an in-house microscope and you've got somebody who's very very good at what they do you just sort of want to send for the best option still uh, i'm not saying the tooth was restorable after what i did but you want to give it still you want to give the patient all the best options um that they have you don't want it just to be oh I did it, so next step is just an extraction, but that was an upper six and they got a low sinus floor and then they can't have an implant or the implant fails early or whatever. So I want to, you know, in hindsight, I should have referred to, I think then a specialist that's so managed it. Because it's communicated better to the patient, it's recorded better. Okay, so you've had a hand from a specialist. Um, sometimes when you guys get confused and you can't, even diagnose, it's good to refer for a second opinion. Um, I even have second opinions myself as an endonist. Like I have experience, but sometimes I've got to ask, um, can you have a look at this case, endodontist X or Y? What do you think? And this is why working in a group practice is good because just today I, I asked for an opinion from my colleague. doesn't matter if they had less experienced or more experienced. doesn't matter. Yeah, sometimes a second pair of eyes is good, but this is – 
addressed. You've had this problem with this case. Let's say it was a perforation. <clears throat> it is better addressed if you recorded it and then referred it um, because then you've done everything right. Then you'll get a report back and uh, somebody else has your someone's, – someone else has seen the case and has your back. We're not going to throw you under the bus. No – well, I hope I'm telling the truth. No endodontist will throw you under the bus. They're not going to put your, the, the, you know, their foot against your neck and say, why did you do this? We've done this. We've all done it. Okay. And if any of us say we didn't do it, um, if an endodontist said they've never fractured a fold, they're lying to you. They are lying to you. Okay. <laughs> if they said they didn't perforate, they are 100% lying. 100% lying. We all perforate. We're looking for difficult cases and uh, canals, and it just happens once in a while. I think the biggest takeaway that you were emphasizing a lot is that we're all working on it together, and it's all you know with the patient's best interest at mind. If you can't do it, sometimes you need a second pair of eyes, someone else to help you out. But no one's throwing anyone under the bus, and it's all you know to help the patient you know do what's best for them, right? Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.